You know, I have a love-hate relationship with matzah. It, it, it started way back, though. And you have to understand this. There are a few things, some great things about being a Jewish kid, especially growing up, growing up in the South, you know. And, 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 like, you'd go to school and everybody's having Christmas or getting ready for Christmas, and they say, Hanukkah, you get eight days of presents? Lucky? You get an excused absence to be out of school for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Lucky high holidays. And look at that party you got for your bar mitzvah. Lucky. But at Passover, as a young kid bringing your lunch to school, <laughs> not so much. When you dig into, for me at the time, it was either an E.T. or Star Wars lunchbox or He-Man lunchbox. And I pull out this large cracker, peanut butter and jelly on a cracker or salami matzah sandwich. And the first day it's pretty cool because the kids are like, oh, wow, what is that? Oh, well, it's matzo. We do this for seven days. Oh, cool. Let me taste it. Okay. Ooh, that's gross as they pick up their fluffy white Wonder Bread sandwich, <laughs> chewing the, the bread as I'm eating this cracker. And, you know, they're, they're, they're just taunting me with it. And every day, Damien, how's your cracker sandwich? <laughs> I'm eating peanut butter and mocha. It's very good. Like a cow working down its cud. <laughs> and I, you know, people wonder why I always have a snide remark come Pesach time about seven days of matzah. These scars are deep. <laughs> and that's why I felt so much better this week when I read the commentary. Something I hadn't noticed before in Exodus 16. The entire assembly of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Do you know what they were complaining about? I do. <laughs> I'll read it to you for context. They journeyed from Elim, and the entire assembly of the children of Israel arrived at the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month from their departure from the land of Egypt. That's important to note. One month after Passover, this is when this is happening. Okay? They've been out for one month. The entire assembly of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The children of Israel said to them, If only we had died by the hand of Hashem in the land of Egypt as we sat by the pot of meat when we ate bread to satiety. Satisfaction, that means. For you have taken us out in this wilderness to kill this entire congregation by famine. Do you know what the, what the commentary says? Listen, it was not until the 15th of ER, a month after the Exodus, that the nation complained about the lack of food. Until then, they had subsisted on the leftovers and the, of the dough and matzah they had taken out of Egypt. 30 days of matzah. I hear you, brothers and sisters. I understand. I feel your pain. And as we know, 
This is one of the many moments throughout the Torah where we see Israel grumbling against God, right? This is a, this is a complaint. And I felt it was justified. And interestingly, so did God. Did you know that? So did God in this instance. Because guess what he did? Exodus 16, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I've heard the grumblings of the sons of Israel. Speak to them. At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. God knew they were right. He knew it was a miracle that they had survived 30 days of matzah. And so he was willing to listen. And you know what he gave them? Krispy Kreme. <laughs> they called it man in Hebrew, manna. But it was, I mean, the description, listen to it. It tasted like cake fried in honey. It was donuts. <laughs> And one might think, man, if I could complain to God like that and get that type of response, I'd, I'd do it. <laughs> now, what does this have to do with absolutely anything? I just wanted to get a dig in on matzah well in advance of Passover. No, actually, there's a word that I want to focus on. Complaints. The entire assembly of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Are you ready for the connector? This is my first message of 2022. You know that? And Darren had a great message on New Year's revolution. And, uh, you know, that was great. But I can't miss the opportunity to talk about New Year's resolutions, even though it's whatever today is, halfway through the month. Because do you know what is primarily at the center of New Year's resolutions? Selfish. What? Selfish? I'll use the word that I just introduced to you. Complaining. And you say, well, that's not true. Those are good things, New Year's resolutions. Most New Year's resolutions are something along the lines of this. I want more than this. I want something different. I want something better. I want to be better. And you might not think of it that way, but in essence, there's, it's a complaint with a current situation. I don't like this current situation. I want something different. And there's nothing in the world wrong with, with this idea of I want, okay? And sometimes, as we just demonstrated with matzah and manna, I mean, God is willing sometimes to hear that. The unrighteous judge in Luke 18 is another example. The lady goes and complains and complains, and, you know, Yeshua says, even if this un, the unrighteous guy listens and responds, surely your Father in heaven will. But so, so there's nothing wrong with saying, I want this. Better phrase the question, what do I want? What do I want should be a question that we're willing to ask. And then you need to almost always ask the very next much, much more important question. It's a mandatory question. One that isn't really considered by most people when they make their resolutions or decisions for what they want. Do you know what the next question you have to ask yourself is? What am I willing to do? 
How do I get where or what I want? And I want to show you something interesting about the word complaint in Hebrew. Often, as I said, you'll hear it grumble, complain, whatever. But this is the root of another word. Uh, uh, well, it's the same word. It has two definitions. Lun, which is where we derive the word in Hebrew malon. Malon means hotel or an inn. But the same word that means complaint in Hebrew also means to dwell, to, to, to uh, tarry, to continue. It's a primitive root to stop, usually overnight, to stay permanently. So, do you see this connection? Stay, dwell, abide, tarry, continue, complain. And occasionally, as we discussed, God responds to complaint, but not usually. And more often, the solution, the answer, is on the other side of doing something. It's found in your necessary answer to the question, what am I willing to do about this? A lot of people don't like to ask that question. There's another revelation from this week's Torah portion beyond the joy I derived from seeing them complain about matzah. But they're standing at the seashore in Parsha Beshalach, right? Pharaoh's behind the army. All of the chariots in Israel are behind the Red Sea or the Reed Sea is in front. And there they stand, hemmed in, surely about to die. And what are they doing? Thank you, Irvin. Complaining. They are grumbling. They're grumbling at Moses, but indirectly they're grumbling at Hashem. They say, is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in this wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Why have you saved us from Egypt and slavery and bondage to bring us here? It's sort of a silly question, but that's what they were asking. And there's not a year that goes by when I don't get a huge kick out of this Parsha. And what happens next? They're grumbling and they're complaining. And Moses has this huge Moses powerful answer. And he says to them, do not fear. That's how Moses talked that day. He didn't any other day. Usually he said, do not fear. <laughs> Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will perform to you, for you today, for the Egyptians whom you have seen today. You will never see them again, ever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. That's what Moses said. Yeah. And then what did he do? Then he ran off somewhere, I don't know where he went, and had this conversation with God. Oh my God in heaven, literally, what are we going to do? <laughs> because the next line indicates it. When God says, and that's how God was speaking that day. And Moses said, Moses, why do you cry out to me? Speak to the children of Israel and tell them to journey forth. Go. Man. 
Even Moses. What do you want, Moses? We need to get to the other side. Journey forth. What are you willing to do? That was the question, and that is it. And here's the revelation. God had a plan. He said it back at the beginning of this Torah portion. He had a plan. He was going to harden Pharaoh's heart, and they were going to come through the sea, and all this stuff was going to happen. But do you know what is happening right now in this story? God is waiting on them. God is waiting on them. Nothing was going to happen until Moses used the staff, until the people stopped complaining. That is, staying in one place, lodging in their grumbling. Nothing was going to change. They had to kadima. They had to move forward. And this is what I want. And this is what I'm willing to do. And it is an action statement. And there has never been for me until this weekend a more clear, this week preparing, a more clear illustration of something that I read in a book called The Circle Maker, which was the, the final impetus for me to go full-time in ministry and leave the, everything I had been doing. And I don't remember a lot of the circle maker, but I will never forget this line. And I'm sorry, I can't remember the author either. But he was talking about Moses. And he said, Moses knew. If I don't take the step, I forfeit the miracle. And that was something that Kelly and I had to do. And there was a lot of reservation and sort of fear about that. But never more clearly is there an illustration of Moses knowing if I don't step, if I don't take action, if I don't lead these people forward, the story ends. God was waiting on them. Hear me say that again. God was waiting on them. And I think back, man, what, what miracles. Just the opportunity to be standing here today with everything that's happening in Shalom, Macon, and all over the world, and everything that's done, everything that's happening had we not taken that step, we would have forfeited this miracle. And so this story, and this is so in our hearts. And forgive my pre preachy life applicationing here with you, but, you know, what's he waiting on you for? Most religious people, religious, shy away from New Year's resolutions, and that's fine. It's just, it, it happens to be the early part of a New Year, Gregorian. And yes, the Gregorian year matters in a Western society. Uh, Gregorian, I'll celebrate Gregorian New Year, uh, Rosh Hashanah. <laughs> it's January, it's a new year, and a lot of people make decisions, but you know, 
Some people don't. So forget the New Year's resolution thing. Forget the calendar. Every single day is an opportunity where you're faced with questions that you need to ask yourself. What do I want? What am I willing to do? There is, there is a situation, there is a problem, there is an opportunity, and it may not be chariots behind me and a sea in front and wilderness to the side. I don't want this, but ooh, I'm just going to complain. God, fix it. I'm, I'm helpless. I'm paralyzed here. Fix it. It's uncomfortable, isn't it? To watch somebody tarry in their complaining. <laughs> Got news for you. A lot of times he doesn't fix it. Because <laughs> he's waiting on you. And that may seem very worldly. And, you know, so that may bother some people. But I absolutely believe that's true. What do I want should always be measured, of course, against what is God calling me to? Or how does this line up with my understanding and relationship with God? I'm not saying you just randomly become some kind of psycho. But, you know, what... Does this line up with what I know about God? Is God involved in this? Do I sense a direction? What am I willing to do? And God, when I take this step, please go with me. Please. And if it's the wrong one, jerk me back fast. But I'm gonna take a step. Because you see, there are really two types of people in this world. I read a book called The Power of Ted. Uh, and it's the, 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 the empowerment dynamic is the acronym, the, the TED. But this guy, David Imrold, he talks about two kinds of people in the world, victims and creators. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I changed it around. Complainers and creators. It really is this simple. There are two kinds of people in the world, victims or victors. And the complainer... I want this. I want that. But this is against me and this can't work and this is too hard and that's not fair and he's got more opportunity and she's prettier than I am and grumble, complain, and never move. Like, you know, remember in the in Bugs Bunny cartoons? No, or the Roadrunner cartoons, old Warner Brothers cartoons. His legs would start spinning around and he's like, phew! <laughs> The complainer is like the roadrunner who just sits there stirring up the dust and, is, and never goes. And so it's just dust flying and complaining. And God's waiting for you to spin him and go, pew! So he can go with you. The complainer, it's someone else's fault. Always. I know what I want I might even know what needs to be done, but I'm not going there. What are you, nuts? I'm going to stay right here and grumble. I'm going to set up my complaining hotel and spend the night and a lot of nights. Contrast that with the Creator. When challenges come, a Creator, a victor, says, 
I know what I want. Ask what will be done. Steps forward to create a reality. Moses as an example. Abraham as an example. David as an example. Who called David, David, uh, well, his dad called him David. Who called David to go out there and fight Goliath? You don't really, David did, because he knew what needed to be done. We read in the Torah portion today about Yael. Yael drove a tent peg through a guy's head. Pinchas drove a spear through, and these aren't recommended activities, but (laughs) action statements about things that needed to be done to create a different reality, and they did. Do you know? It's not that we can, we can't outdo God. We don't outrun him. We don't act as if we don't need him. It's that he has empowered us to do, to create, to face challenges in faith and walk boldly knowing that if we ask, he'll guide and he'll go. Do you know the kind of power contained in that self-determination? Do you know how strong you are in this world when you live and function that way? Strong. That's how strong. We don't rely on ourselves, and yet we trust that sometimes, as in a book I recently read, the obstacle is the way. I love that. Sometimes this is what defines leaders, too. Willingness to move right on past the leg-spinning roadrunner complainers and lead. And you know what? Sometimes you don't even lead other people. Sometimes you just have to lead yourself out of the dust cloud of complaining. That's leadership in and of itself. If you can't lead your own life, you certainly can't lead anyone else. So you want a great new year? You want fulfillment, contentment, sense of worth and value? There's one more question you need to add to the list. What do I want? What am I willing to do And what will I give away when I have it? What will I give in this journey of questions? It can't stop with just me. And with that attitude, you see amazing things happen in your life. If you are willing to accept that sometimes there are figurative chariots and horses behind you and figurative deep blue seas that will swallow you up if you let your imagination run away with you. That is life. But you choose victor over victim and you take steps and you move forward. And the greatest one of those is how will you use all of these victories to help other people? Ask, ask, ask Victor Frankl, man's search for meaning. That's where life matters. Actually, for, I love Dr. Frankel. Forget Dr. Frankel for the second. Ask Yeshua about the greatest power you have is what you give away of yourself. And so I, I, I can't neglect, Darren told us about Tu and I'm not going to
go into it. It's an important one of four New Year's in the Jewish calendar because you need to know when the trees were producing fruit, how old the tree was so that you could give the proper tithe in the temple. And this is a very ancient thing that goes way back. But I'm not going to talk about that. It's the New Year for trees. It is not any coincidence that this is the first holiday we celebrate in the synagogue after our New Year's resolutions. It's in January. So we have the Gregorian New Year. Then we have the New Year for trees. What, what, what does that have to do with anything? What's the connection? Well, lest one think that the message here is all about you and success and personal fulfillment, let's consider the tree. The tree receives everything that God has, right? Rain and sun and warmth and cool. It needs the cool. It needs, it, it takes up the soil and the nutrients and it builds for itself this solid foundation and it will hold strong in virtually any storm that comes its way. And so I don't lose you. Yes, I understand that the tree does not make this choice consciously, that a tree is sort of an inanimate object, but it doesn't stop the psalmist from comparing the righteous to a tree, does it? Number one, he will be like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not weather and what it wither and whatever he does, he prospers. So humor me. Psalm one, the righteous as a tree, a tree takes the goodness of God for itself. And in the process, it produces fruit in season and the tree throughout history has fed the world, has helped the world breathe, has created warmth for cooking and not dying in the winter and building things. I mean, literally, just making the world a more beautiful place. So whatever, you know, and, and so here it is. Brothers and sisters, as they say. Here's your, here's your biblical New Year's resolution. Here's your secret to success. Here's your purpose-driven life. Here's your key to happiness. Whatever the situation you face, the resolution you made, the change you need to make is to ask, what do I want? I want to be planted by streams of living water. What am I willing to do? Am I a victim? Am I a victor? Am I a complainer or am I a creator? Am I staying in the same place, grumbling about why I can't or more likely won't? Or am I journeying forth as God told Moses to have them do? What will I give? How will I produce fruit in season? What will I give? The psalmist says, when you do these things, whatever you do prospers. Who would like to prosper? I will. <laughs> this Tubishvat, the first holiday of the new year, we can think of ourselves this silly, crazy, weird way as trees asking questions. Not making resolutions, but becoming resolute. That is the quality of being determined. We all grumble. We all complain. It's just in us. And as I've demonstrated, very, very rarely, I think, God responds to that. But like Israel in the, in the seashore, we can't, we can't stay there. And take comfort in this fact, and this is the last thing. That even when you are struggling to move, God will give you some gentle or not so gentle pushes because he loves you. Do you know what he did for Israel 
as they stood paralyzed, grumbling. He moved the cloud behind them. Right? The pillar we sang, pillar of fire and cloud, cloud, whatever. Fire at night, cloud pillar. But he moved it behind them when they were stuck in paralysis mode. What does that mean? What is that? It means you can't go backwards. That door is closed. Kadima. Journey forth. And he'll do that for you. He will, he will, he will block things that he wants you to turn away from. And so this is it. And this will be, someone in this room will go, or wherever. The Georgia Bulldogs won a national college football championship this last Monday. It's fun. I love football. Obviously, we love football because the game's not till April, and we're advertising for it now. Boaz Hockey, nice work. Really get them prepared. They won a national championship, and their quarterback, young Stetson Bennett IV, who led this team after 41 years without a national championship, this kid who had, by any regular standard of appreciation, no business being there. He was a walk-on quarterback. He, everyone just poo-pooed this guy nonstop. They complained about him being on the team and being the quarterback. And he was a backup, like three backups deep. And people throughout this year, as they were winning and winning and winning, were complaining about him. And do you know that even after they won this national championship, if there weren't kids in here, I'd want to use a worse word. Some moron that I saw and was said, hey, good job, Stetson. Now step aside and let's let some of these other talented players come in here and do this. He just won the biggest game in the year after 41 years on the grumblers. It's like... That's what it is. You got to listen for that in life. When you're talking to somebody and all you hear in your ears is their mouth is moving. Reminds me of a little sign my mom has by our kitchen sink or a T-shirt maybe that says, I'm sorry I slapped you. You were talking so much I panicked and I wasn't sure you were ever going to stop. The grumbling wheel was rolling against Stetson Bennett before, during, after. I read an interview that my brother sent me, who's the biggest Georgia college football fan in the universe, a Stetson Bennett's dad being interviewed. It was absolutely heartbreaking reading about what this family has been subjected to over this last year. And even now, after he won they're still being harassed. It's psychopathic. But, uh, 
the tearing down, the criticizing, all the complainers and grumblers, he won. And I watched him and like, I mean, I could cry now. I watched him on the sideline crying athlete. He's not a big dude. So it wasn't like this huge guy was. <laughs> He's a relatively average sized person. And I watched him crying and I wanted to cry. And I'm not crying about college football. I'm crying about the human spirit. Which, if we don't allow it to, cannot be overcome by anyone grumbling and complaining against us. And here's what he said when they interviewed him. They said, this 23-year-old college quarterback provides the great conclusion to this message. They ask him, what does your success mean? At the 50-yard line, he's... he's just overwhelmed with emotion and all this. And they asked him, what does it mean for the little guy who tries to buck the big odds? And the answer he gave, he said, first he hopes it encouraged him. But then he said this. And it's a little tough. Can you handle it? Because you need to take these words and plant them somewhere in your brain and in your heart. Take everything else I said today. Summarize it right here. Thank you, Stetson Bennett IV, for these words. Keep your mouth shut. Work hard. Life is tough. Work through it. I love that. That makes me want to cry. I love that. Because that's the way I want all of us to be all the time. Life is tough. Work hard. Shut your mouth and work through it. God, make us victors, not victims. And my friends, God will be with you when you allow him to do that. So happy new year to you, victors. And of course, to the trees as well. Shabbat Shalom.